Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and on today's podcast I'm talking with Morgan Hipworth. He's possibly one of the youngest food entrepreneurs I've spoken to because at just 17 years of age, Morgan has his own donut shop. It's called Bistro Morgan and it's run in the funky suburb of Windsor in Melbourne, Victoria. Now, Morgan's a bit unusual. He's a full-time year 12 high school student. So before school and after school, he's baking donuts for the store. And on the weekend, he's developing new flavours, training staff, and looking after all the rosters, invoicing, and accounts. Now today, we're going to hear about how Morgan started cooking at such a young age and began making and selling his magical donuts. So welcome to the podcast, Morgan. Thanks for having me. I thought it might be helpful. Let's set the scene for the listeners first off. Uh I'd love yeah. to hear how, let's say you came around to my house and I introduced you to some of my friends. How do you describe what you do and, and what your business is? I think the main thing I describe, like, is I do what I love. So I guess I sort of started when I was seven just by cooking, uh, watching a few TV shows. And that sort of just led on a natural progression of uh, doing birthday cake orders and things like that to family and friends. And then... From there, I ended up supplying a cafe when I was 13 with lots of cakes and slices and all those sorts of things. And then they asked me to make some donuts for Valentine's Day. And then, you know, one thing led to another. Word got around and all of a sudden I was supplying around 20 cafes around Melbourne. Um, and it sort of just took off from there. So you started cooking and baking at the age of seven. What motivated you to do that? Yeah, well, I just started cooking by watching, especially by watching MasterChef, I am. Um, I remember when I was quite young, I saw the adverts for it, and I kind of thought, what a silly show. Who would want to watch someone cooking? And then sort of one thing, you know, I watched a few episodes, and I just got hooked on it, and it was sort of one of those things that it was a bit of a challenge for me. You know, if they can do it, I can do it. So, you know, anytime someone would stuff up a dish or something like that, I would always try and print out the recipe and sort of replicate it that Saturday night um, at our dinner table, and that would sort of be my day's hobbies, you know, instead of going out and playing with friends or riding a scooter, I would spend the day in the kitchen cooking. And what was it about that that you really kind of liked? What what does cooking do for you? It's one of those things, it's kind of, I can't really describe it. It's, it's just, you know, when you do something, you just know you love it and you don't necessarily know why, so whether it was the end result, whether it was, you know, seeing people's enjoyment after you made something or what it necessarily was, but I put it this way, I knew I loved it. Is that what a lot of people marvel about, that you found something you love to do at such a young age? I think that's one of the things I always say is, you know, lots of people go, oh, you know, you're, you know, you're so, you know, found what you like to do. And I'm like, yes, but it's, I think everyone hopefully one day will. It's just whether how young they might find that. And I've just been lucky enough to find it at quite a young age. But as long as you do what you love, then you know, that's all you can ever ask for. So I'm imagining you at seven or eight years of age cooking away in the family kitchen and I'm wondering what were your parents saying or thinking at this stage? They were sort of pretty on board with I guess it kind of became nothing unusual to, you know, sort of find me in that position. I 
every sort of Saturday night, I used to set up the front dining room as a restaurant, and that sort of became my little sort of play space, and that's how the name Bistro Morgan came about. I used to set it up um, and, yeah, just literally invite my parents and grandparents up, and I would make a full three-course meal every Saturday. And The one thing I do remember is we had just gotten back from America on a family holiday, and I was feeling all motivated to do something. I, I get... Once I decide I want to do something, I sort of, nothing's going to stop me. So I remember getting back from this, you know, 12-hour flight. And that night, I set up this restaurant in our front dining room and printed out menu cards and sort of cooked everything. So I think that was sort of the first time I ever did that. And at this stage, are you self-taught with your cooking skills or had you gone to classes? When I was younger, I did used to do quite a few sort of cooking lessons, you know, with celebrity chefs such as George Colombaris and stuff. And and that did come about because when I was nine, I um I got in the top 300 junior master chef. And that sort of just came about through that. So I did a few cooking courses and stuff, but nothing really too hands-on. Um, I did used to work a couple Sundays out of the local bakery just for experience, but I really did sort of teach myself. Okay, hang on. I know you said you watched MasterChef. I didn't realise you had actually been on Junior MasterChef. Yeah, so when I was nine, yeah. In the last series of Junior MasterChef, I got an audition, and then they just continued it the series after. And was that a big deal for you? Is is that something you had, had really wanted to do? Um, yes, no, I think those sorts of TV shows happen so fast. You don't even necessarily know what's hit you really before before it's over so it was one of those yeah it was you know an awesome experience and stuff but you know there was parts of it that were also just more about you know how you looked on tv and how you spoke and all that kind of side of things so it was definitely an interesting experience to have so you're cooking three course meals for your family how did that then change into you cooking cakes and slices for local cafes so it kind of happened, um, we went to a cafe just for some lunch. So when I was 13, we just went down for a sandwich. And as we were paying the bill, we just got chatting to the owner and, you know, just general, well, we didn't know she was the owner at the time. It was just general chit-chat, like, oh, you know, how was everything and all. And I was actually buying some coffee machines for my um, coffee uh, machine at home. And she was asking me all sorts of things, like, do you want them grounded and all of that? And I knew, you know, all about it. So, you know, she said, you seem to know about food and stuff for such a young age. And I said, yeah, I do a bit of cooking and experimenting in the kitchen. And she sort of, you know, asked a bit more about it. And then she said, oh, well, we're actually possibly looking for a new cake supplier down here. You should sell your cakes here. And I kind of thought nothing of it. Next thing I know, we ended up with a meeting down there with them. I presented all these samples to them and I uh, was a new cake supplier the next week. And then from there, that was sort of the natural progression. In You know, hospitality is a pretty small world in Melbourne, so you know, a couple of other cafes heard about me. And, yeah, well, as soon as you have a you know few you know doors in, it just goes from there. I always had that um, mindset of, you know, make really, really good quality ingredients and, you know, things, and that will create a great product. And as long as that, you know, customers will notice that, and that's what I think sort of happened. So let's go back to what you were doing at that age. You're 13, you've got some contracts to supply cakes and slices to several cafes. Where were you baking your products? Yes, they're all made out of our house kitchen. So we had like a council registered kitchen. So just like any other sort of cafe or restaurant, it's all checked with the council. 
um, and registered. So, yeah, they would be made out of our house every night. So the, the way it would work is the cafe would place their orders at 3 p.m. the day before and we would deliver them the next morning. So my mum or dad would drive me down before school and I would sort of deliver everything I'd baked the night before and you know that could have been anything from one brownie slice to 10 brownie slices, a lemon tart, cookies and everything in between. Um, so yeah, it was pretty crazy and then on the weekends it sort of transformed into more of a donut central because we ended up supplying quite a few cafes just with donuts on the weekends as well. So before we get into the donuts, just I'd love to hear what a typical day was like for you. Yeah, so a normal day yeah, it would normally be you get up and do some deliveries and obviously I started school at like 8.30 so we'd have to sort of get them done before that Yeah, and then I'd get to school just sort of have like a normal day at school, try and get all my homework done at school because I didn't really have too much time out of school. And then orders would come in at 3 o'clock and that's sort of when I could kind of plan my night a little bit. But that got hard, you know, so I had a big assignment or anything like that. And then once I got home, if I had a big order, it would kind of just be all hands on deck. I would do all the cooking and my mum would help pack them into bags and things like that. And then hopefully we'd be done cooking by 11 or 12 o'clock that night. That's a long day. You don't realise until you literally take a step back and, and you just do what you do day in and day out and don't think about it any differently. It's, it's just you do it and you do it again the next day and then you do it again the next day and you just go, this is how it is, this is how life is. So you're putting in the long hours and you're providing to cafes what happened next? From that sort of first cafe, it took off by um, an article in the Herald Sun, which kind of set me off from there with lots of other media outlets. So from that article, I was featured on Today's Show, um, Sunrise, Nine News, lots of radio stations, online media. And that sort of really did um, sort of amplify my profile around Melbourne and, you know, gained lots more Instagram followers and, and so forth and uh, eventually more customers in terms of cafes. And I continued supplying the cafes around two years just from my house kitchen. So every weekend I would produce around seven, 800 donuts um, and would supply from anywhere from five to 20 cafes around Melbourne. Um, and then from there, I, well, the whole time really, I was pretty desperate to get a shop, but my parents weren't going to budge on that. They were pretty determined that I had to finish school before I did anything. So we sort of came to a compromise by maybe a pop-up shop. And they sort of had in mind maybe a trestle table at the front of a cafe or something like that. But before they knew it, I had uh, found a retail space and already inquired and, you know, nonetheless almost signed a lease. <laughs> so we had found a spot for two weeks that we were going to set up shop for eight days during the September school holidays of 2016 and we set up that we worked almost I reckon 20 hour days we lucky to get two or three hours sleep most of those days and we we ended up selling around 10,000 donuts in those eight days that is a great result so why do you think your parents were so worried about this pop-up shop I it sounds like it was a terrific success um, I think it's more just the time, like we were so busy that, you know, we didn't really need one more thing in our life. And even now, you know, there's no downtime. It's always, always busy. So I think it was more just that wait till you're out of school and, and then you can have all the time in the world as such. But yeah, I think it was just that balance. 
Well, that sounds pretty reasonable given how long it did take you to set up and run that pop-up shop. Why was it important for you to do it then? Yeah, I think it was more, and I'm also, I'm, I'm pretty determined, so I was like, if I sort of, um, I, you know, set my mind to it, I'm pretty sure I, I want to definitely achieve it as such. So it's one of those, I just, I really wanted a shop for a while and yeah, it was just, everything was falling into place and, um, you know, I was talking about it more and more and possibly convincing my parents about it. And yeah, I think the pop-up shop was a great sort of opportunity to sort of show how um, ready we were for a store as such. And sorry, this might be an obvious question, but uh, how did you know where to go to find the right shop and location? I guess in terms of the actual retail space, I just did a bit of um, online research and I found quite a few spaces that are the um, short-term lease option and uh, eventually narrowed it down to the the actual permanent store in now, which is at 190 High Street, Windsor. And um, I just love that area. I sort of love that Chapel Street, Windsor-Paran area. So it was a sort of pretty easy you know, spot for me. We went past it on the weekend when we were doing deliveries and checked out the space and it looked like it would work and there was a previous food pop-up in there as well and, and that did quite well. So, yeah, we were confident, but, of course, we weren't, you know, we didn't, never knew what to expect from it. Okay, so you did the pop-up shop. You worked yourself and your parents to the bone. How did you know it was a success? I mean, was it simply the number of donuts you sold? Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it was probably the sheer volume and also just not necessarily the attention, but the um, the presence we sort of gained on, you know, social media and everyone's sort of mindset and, you know, the, the positive feedback that we got, like all the locals who may not have necessarily known about us, I remember them coming in on the last Sunday going, oh, you guys not going to be here tomorrow? And like almost like shattered that, you know, where are we going to get our donuts from? And was one of those things that oh you know who knows what could happen blah 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 and at that stage we'd still we'd never knew what could happen I um I never actually thought I would have convinced my parents to let me get a permanent store but the shop came up for permanent lease and yeah I just couldn't imagine anyone else in the same space we had and yeah we sort of took it on full time from there. When we come back how Morgan scaled up and went beyond a pop-up shop into running a full-time retail donut store called Bistro Morgan. I'd like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible, the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They can help you fast-track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of those businesses that gets it right, then the Monash Food Innovation Center can help. It has cutting edge technologies, product development services, and runs capability workshops to upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. Whether you're a food startup or a large corporation, check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Hey everyone, welcome back to Eat, Drink, Innovate. I'm Susie White. 
So you heard how Morgan harnessed his considerable cooking skills and focused on making seriously good donuts in a really successful pop-up shop. I then asked him how on earth had he convinced his parents to let him sign a lease and open a full-time shop. I mean, what did they say? I think it was more um, like they had always knew what was going to happen in terms of, I, um, yeah, it was always going to never be enough for me as such, you know. So after we had the pop-up, I remember I remember saying, oh, I'll just have the pop-up and there'll be enough. And I remember my dad saying, no, you won't, mate. You'll, you'll still want something more. <laughs> so, you know, I remember the night after the pop-up finished, we went out for dinner and I, I banged on about the permanent store and, um, you know, a few arguments later, we eventually came to a conclusion. So let's talk about the donuts now. Uh, how did you know in the pop-up shop that that was the right thing to do and that from that point on, you were just really going to focus on donuts? Yeah, I think one of the – so the way we sort of narrowed in on donuts was the cafe had asked us uh, me to make some Valentine's Day donuts in 2015 and that's when I first started making the donuts um, sorry 2014 that was and from there it was one of those when I when I got the feature in the paper it, it did focus on donuts and that certainly wasn't intentional from our end but that's what the writer sort of focused on and I guess that's what then all the other media focused on and then that's what all the cafes wanted from us so we always said that and I remember my mum always saying to me, you know, oh, you should never focus on just one product. You know, you limit yourself. And I had always agreed. And But it was one of those things that when when you're making seven, 800 donuts and then you've got one or two brownie slices, those one or two brownie slices become a bit of a pain in the bum to make <laughs> because by the time you've finished all the donuts, you just want to go to bed. You don't want to have to stay up and make two brownie slices. So we slowly narrowed out those product lists um, and simply just offered the donuts to cafes, and and that's that really did become what we were known for. Um, and then, yeah, by the time the pop up shop came, we were long, long um, gone making all the other slices and so on. And how are you going on all your equipment and your kit for making these donuts? Did you have to scale up and in, in invest in a lot more cooking gear? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the the first purchases I I made was a um, a big deep fryer, and that was just out of the money I'd made from supplying the cafe. So before I had that, I was just frying them in a little stove pot, and that was you know three or four donuts at a time. Yeah, so it was pretty slow. And then I moved up to a small sort of Kmart fryer, which could I think fit ten or so. And uh, then I brought my first sort of industrial fryer, which now fits twenty four, and I since brought another one. And then from there, my next purchase was a a big sort of dough mixer because I used to make all the dough in our little bread KitchenAid until that eventually, because the dough so tough, it, it started to bounce when you mixed it. So it, we went looking one night and it bounced and bounced onto the floor and put, put a big chip in our floorboards. So that was sort of the decision on, oh, I think we need to get some bigger mixers. <laughs> so we went out and I purchased a large sort of uh, mixer which can make about 250 donuts at once. This is all starting to sound quite expensive. I mean, could you afford this? And what about the lease on the full-time store? The pop-up store is what really helped to um, set us up for the uh, permanent store. 
because so I had all the money that I saved from supplying the cafes for two or three years and the money from that try you know helped fund the pop up store and then the money from the uh, wholesale and the pop up helped to fund the permanent store. Uh, and you know it you know it wasn't too bad because it did help. My dad is a builder, so he did all the labour side of things, and I had to pay obviously quite a bit for all the materials and everything. But yeah, it did help a little bit there. So let's talk about your store design. It is seriously cool and trendy. Who <laughs> who you. did the interiors? So it was one of those one of those things. I had sort of a few designs in mind, and it was kind of inspired by our first pop-up store, which is in that same space. And then we sort of learned what did and what didn't work. And I wanted a sort of very minimalistic approach to the store rather than, I don't like cluster and, you know, stuff everywhere. So, you know, I really love the neon signs and our tagline is a seriously good donut. So we thought that neon down the end of the shop, you know, looking down the barrel um, and you just spot that seriously good donuts uh, was a really sort of good way to go about it. Yeah, we did sort of work with a designer on that to try and sort of create a nice sort of synergy when you walk in. And the thing I noticed when I did pop into your shop on the weekend is that minimalist design really heroes your donuts. I mean, they are the splash of colour. They're the theatre that draws your eye the minute you walk in. And they're the focus, and that's what we want people to, you know, see when they walk in. I feel like we really need to talk about your seriously good donuts now. Could you describe them for us? Because you do call them artisan donuts. Yeah, so they're all um, handmade and hand-dipped and hand-rolled donuts. So they're made fresh every morning, which first of all is a secret to a good donut. They have to be fresh. And then they're all just made with really good quality ingredients. So we, all our donuts are a brioche donut, which has eggs and butter. And then from there, we use good quality uh, real caliber chocolate that we dip uh, and we also fill it with you know all sorts of fillings such as caramel and chocolate hazelnut, um, lemon curd and jam. And then from there, we can sort of put toppings on such as marshmallows and Kit Kat. So we have our signatures such as the Gay Time Crunch, which is based off the Golden Gay Time ice cream. And that's uh, dipped in chocolate, honeycomb crunch, and then a salted caramel syringe. Uh, and then we also have some other fun ones like the Cookie Monster, which is filled with cake batter, white chocolate, Oreo, and some confetti. So I think we've got the idea that these are not ordinary donuts. These are extraordinary donuts. And you talked about a signature range, and I know you also have a classics range. How do you know what flavors to develop? Yeah, I think it's one of those. So when we first opened the store, my um, my original idea and plan was to change the donuts we offered every single week. And that's what we did for uh, maybe the first three or four months. We would just do a complete new range of donuts every single week. So I would do nine new flavors and just always rotate them. Uh, and then I kind of thought we were getting people wanting their favorites back as such, you know, whether it was a Ferrero or the Gay Time Quick, it was like, Where, where's it gone? So we, I came up with the idea of having a, a week one and then a week two rotation. So it would go week one, then week two, and then back to week one, and back to week two. And uh, I sort of came up with that and thought, I'll try and create 
And one week, each week has nine flavors on it, and we'd do you know six of our signatures on each uh, rotation, and then plus three classic options, which are just great for people if they don't want to go all out with the chocolate. So they're just more of a plain jam or a plain caramel filled donut. And then that flavor rotation changes every three or four months, so it changes seasonally, so we can experiment. And we also have a flavor of the week that we uh, change every single week and it's available for one week only. We have something for everyone. And now a really hard question. Uh, do you have a favorite donut? And probably really, you know, most popular for a reason is the daytime crunch. It's just that classic combination of the caramel and the honeycomb that you really can't beat. So that, that would probably be one of my faves, but... There's so many others, like the date night is really, really nice. That's got a caramel popcorn, Oreo, and then chalk hazelnut. The, the cake batter one, which is called a cookie monster, is just fun and playful. Like, there's, there's so many, it's hard to pick one. And how are you managing your full-time shop now? How often are you getting in there? Yeah, so I'm pretty much in the shop most weekends uh, and any time I can, whether it be school holidays or outside of school hours, um, because obviously I'm in year 12 this year, so I'm in school five days a week and then I of course still work on the business you know 24-7 I reckon I work at least 60 or so hours a week on the businesses as well as school on top. And how is that working out going to school and and finishing year 12 while you run a full-time business? Yeah I think it's one of those like I sort of go to school and live like a double life you know I get to school and I try not to draw too much attention to myself, really, in terms of I just get what I need to get done and get out of there. So, I, you know, I'm at school, and unless you really knew me, you wouldn't really know what I did outside of school. It's in, until I hit the media when I was in, you know, like 13, 14, most of my close friends didn't necessarily know what I was doing outside of school. You know, I had a, you know, I had an interest in cooking and all of that. And what are you doing to market your business? I mean, how are people finding out about Bistro Morgan and the shop? Yeah, social media is sort of a massive part of, it's probably our main source of marketing. So I do all the social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, all that side of things, as well as, you know, using influencers and um, other forms of social media that, you know, may not necessarily be so prevalent when you think about Instagram, but it's also been, you know, small um, media features and large media features as well. Like recently, you know, middle of last year, I was featured on the official Instagram account with 220 million followers. So that sort of helped to, um, you know, just give it another kick along as such. It was um, a pretty amazing opportunity there. Since the number also been made verified on Instagram as well, which means, you know, you've got that little blue tip next to your name. And did I see that you have a deal with Uber Eats and you will do deliveries? Yeah, so we do Uber Eats and Deliveroo. So pretty much if you can, if you live within five pay of the store, you can jump on the Uber Eats or Deliveroo app and uh, get donuts, milkshakes, everything we serve at the store and you can get it delivered right to your front door. And do you still sell to other cafes? Yeah, we do quite a bit of wholesale still. We, on the weekends, we end up you know, supplying anywhere from five to 15 cafes still. And, you know, they're all around Melbourne, anywhere from Glen Waverley into the city. And Morgan, what do you think has helped you the most to get where you are today? Um, I think it's just been like we were chatting before about that sort of, not necessarily, I haven't found the right word for it. It's not determination because it's not, like just sheer, you know, I'll do what I want with no, you know, no sense of anyone else around me. 
It's more just, you know, once I set my mind to something, I will do everything in my power to make it happen. And doing what you want to do has really, really helped. And do you have a food philosophy that you live and work by? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's you know, if you find a job you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I think that's true for whatever field you're in because if you love your job, then it's just going to feel like a hobby and you'll, you'll love life. And for anyone who was thinking about starting up their own food business, what words of advice would you offer to them? I think it's just take that first leap because that first leap is the hardest and, you know, it's just making those connections to have the amazing support around you too because, you know, I couldn't have done this without the amazing support of my parents, you know, letting me use our kitchen and all of, you know, I can't even deliver to the cafes, let alone get myself to the shop even now. So every time I'm down there, I'm sure you'll probably see my weary-eyed mum behind me. So it's that awesome support network that will help massively, whether it be, you know, physically or mentally. Don't let anyone else sort of stop you in your tracks and just go for it. If you love it, that's the main thing. And while it's early days for Bistro Morgan, what are your thoughts on the future and, and how high is up? I've got a ultimate goal, but not necessarily a way like a, a way to get to that goal right now because you know, with school and all, it's, it's kind of been really hard. So once I'm out of school, I guess the ultimate goal is just to make this going more than like a half a man throughout the world when you think of donuts. Um, yeah, is that ultimate goal. And so for anyone who would like to try one of your seriously good donuts, where can they find out more about you and where to buy them? Yeah, definitely. So if you jump on our website, which is bistromorgan.com.au or our Instagram, which is at bistromorgan, it's got all the details of all the donuts we make. And then if you head on down to our store, which is 190 High Street, Windsor, we're open every day besides Monday and on Saturday and Friday nights, we're open until 9pm. So you can head to dinner and then come to us for dessert. So, uh, Morgan, look, I, I really appreciate your time today. I know you ran straight from school, no and I'm sure you've got a load of year 12 homework to get through. So I also feel like I'm That's keeping right. you from the shop. So thank you so much for sharing your startup story today. Um, it, it's It's been very inspiring, and um, I wish you every success in the future. No worries at all. Thanks so much for having me. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Hey everyone, thanks for sticking around. Now, this part of the podcast is where I think about my chat with Morgan and what are some of the secrets of his success. There's a temptation now for me to just talk about like how amazing Morgan's accomplishments have been because of his young age. And don't get me wrong, they are remarkable. I mean, he has achieved by the age of 17 what many people hope to achieve in their entire lifetime. In fact, you're probably like me, just sitting here thinking, what did I waste my youth doing? But I don't think that's the main message. And I think there's a there's a bigger learning here for anyone, regardless of your age or the type of business you're in. And that is his business focus and how he landed so quickly and so clearly on his offer of seriously good donuts. I would call this his innovation sweet spot. It's that amazing point where all the factors of success come together. 
It's something you can make. There is a gap in the marketplace and consumers really want to buy it. That's the innovation sweet spot and something that most of us as product innovators are looking for, either in our current business or our new products. So let me tell you how do you find an innovation sweet spot and I'll talk you through how I think Morgan landed there. So firstly, in your mind, picture three circles and they're kind of in a triangle and then push them together so they overlap in the middle. These circles represent the three factors you need to find an innovation sweet spot. The first factor is your own capability. This means what can you make or do? For Morgan, he developed a really strong capability in cooking. But Morgan didn't just start only making donuts. His capability is much broader than that. If you remember, he was making three-course meals for his family. So he has a capability of cooking. That's the first factor that you need to find your innovation sweet spot. Now let's talk about the second factor. That second overlapping circle, that's the category you operate in. That's when you find a gap in the marketplace and you offer something unique and different versus the competitive set that's already there. For Morgan, the category opportunity he found was when those very first cafes approached him and asked him to make the cakes and slices and sweet snacks for their cafes. This helped focus Morgan's capability. He wasn't cooking hot soups or evening meals. He was focusing on cakes and slices and sweet snacks. And now we bring in the third factor of success to find an innovation sweet spot, and that is consumers. By that, I simply mean what do people want or need? Morgan was really good at listening and responding to what people wanted. When he created a heart-shaped donut and it sold out that day, he knew he had found a real sweet spot for his products, making seriously good donuts. And he has been perfecting his focus on that area ever since. I mean, his donuts now would be classified as entertainment. Visually, they look spectacular. They are literally like a party in your mouth. And by doing this, Morgan has created a business that he is passionate about, that he loves working in, and that is a commercial success. So the outtake from today's interview, if you run your own business, you know, what's your innovation sweet spot? What can you do or make your capability that fills a gap in the current marketplace or category you compete in and consumers really want and need it? If you can find this point of intersection, then chances are you've found an innovation sweet spot. If you'd like to know more about the innovation sweet spot, what that model looks like and how to use it for your own business, just go to the show notes. All the details are posted there. Or you can read more about it on page 130 of my book, Innovation Feast, Create New Product Ideas to Feed Your Hungry Business. It's available on Amazon or my website www.eatdrinkinnovate.com.au. Thanks for listening to the show today and a big thank you to Morgan Hipworth at Bistro Morgan and his seriously good donuts. 
If you've got any comments, questions or thoughts on today's episode, just drop me a line on www.eatdrinkinnovate.com.au. Otherwise, uh, join me next time to Eat, Drink and Innovate. I'd love to hear your suggestions about any successful food and beverage startups, entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think I should be talking to. You can get in touch with me at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au slash podcast and also find there all the food innovation resources and show note links. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from.